0: Chapter twenty-three of A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nelly by J. B. Polly. Chapter twenty-three Fun in the Trenches letter of july the sixth eighteen sixty four continued just as i had finished the foregoing i was handed your letter of june the fifteenth and had scarcely read it when a sergeant notified me that my turn had come for a little practice at the enemy the hostile lines are so near each other that picketing is impossible and in self-defence one-third of our command is on watch night and day Were powder and lead as abundant with us as with the Yankees, we should, like them, keep up a continuous fire during the day, for, while practically useless, it would give us employment. Simply peeping over the breastworks at the risk of our lives is not the most pleasant pastime in the world. As a compromise between economy and consequent monotony on the one side, and desire for sport on the other, we do shoot some but rarely except when there is a chance to kill all through the night firing is maintained from both sides the yankees shooting both to prevent an unexpected attack and to hide their mining operations but we mainly to prevent sudden assault your most amusing account of the fright recently given to the gallant defenders of the texas coast reminds me of an anecdote told on roddy's cavalry a regiment said to be always more ready to run than to fight. Whether there be any truth in this imputation, that particular command serving in the Western Army, I simply tell the story as I heard it. It appears that a railroad train passing through Alabama carried a large number of soldiers one at the front end of a car rose to his feet gun in hand and inquired in a loud voice if there was any member of roddy's regiment on board no one answering he repeated the inquiry with a solicitude that demanded response and immediately a little fellow at the other end of the car arose and modestly acknowledged himself a member of the regiment "'That's all right, then,' said the inquirer, with an air of great relief, as he cocked his gun and poked the muzzle out the window. "'I just wanted to tell you not to be scared, honey, for I ain't a bit mad. "'I'm only gwine to pop a cap. "'But honestly,' charming Nellie, "'when I think of those poor Confederate soldiers "'quartered in the stores and warehouses at Galveston, "'each mess occupying a room to itself,' and their officers boarding around in private families my tender heart fairly dissolves in its overflow of sympathy they have a rough time even if the rations furnished them are supplemented by the daily contributions of citizens friends and relatives and because of the manly fortitude with which they endure such grievous and disheartening hardships deserve the plaudits of a grateful country should we fellows up here in virginia and down in georgia and tennessee ever succeed in winning southern independence they may rely confidently upon me always provided i am not called upon to be a martyr to do all in my power to secure them their just deserts after pampering and petting them so long and assiduously it would be criminal in the confederate government not to continue it they are not inured to danger and hardship as we are and should be placed in no position to incur either ladies deserve consideration too for if the war continues much longer there will be an appalling scarcity of men physically capable of bearing their ends of the marriage yoke a queer character is jordan of company i a fast friend of pokwe he is not a coward by any means but he is utterly and indescribably lazy since the incident of pokwe's capture both pokwe and jordan have been objects of intense interest and solicitude to the whole brigade and scarcely a day has passed that they have not received proof of it to relieve in some measure the dull monotony of life in the trenches it has become a custom to call upon them daily for an exhibition of their prowess and marksmanship men are only children grown up you know and must have amusement suddenly the cry arises jordan jordan po quay po jordan and po'que. and although it starts from one or two it is taken up by others until it becomes a volume of sound and an imperative demand upon the parties named caring nothing for ridicule and remarkably good-natured jordan sits still and irresponsive no amount of talking will persuade him to his feet but when on them with a cocked gun laid across the breastworks in easy reach he always finds the energy to take deliberate aim and pull the trigger and then woe betide the blue coat at whom he shoots his aim is unerring pokwe however needs no urging for he is too proud when out of danger to willingly betray his cowardice waiting until jordan has performed his part of the programme and laughing as heartily as anyone at him pokwe with a great show of alacrity and desire to please lays his gun across the breastworks at an angle that will carry the ball high over the heads of the Yankee in the neighboring works, and let alone he shoots at that angle, our friends across the way are ever on the alert and send a compliment in the shape of a mini ball at every head that exposes itself above the safety line. Pokwe is never let alone but receives cautions and advice from all sides lower the muzzle of your gun poke one will say for you will hit nothing but a quartermaster or commissary that way and they ain't worth killing. take good aim old fellow another cries ammunition is mighty scarce in these here confederate states but don't wait to see if you get your man chimes in a third it's dangerous and anxious to demonstrate his profound appreciation of these and a hundred or more similar remarks poque hugs his gun to his shoulder and bobs his head and the muzzle of the weapon alternately up and down like the ends of a see-saw until in a sudden access of courage or desperation rising high enough to catch a glimpse of the top of the enemy's breastworks he pulls the trigger and sinks back exhausted pale and perspiring into the arms of his friends ready to receive their laughing congratulations it is not likely you have any definite idea of the trenches imagine a ditch eight feet wide and three or four deep the dirt from which is thrown on the side next to the enemy and forms an embankment just high enough for a man to stand erect and look over this embankment is the breastworks which protects us from the shots of the yankees the ditch extends for miles to the right and left, or at any rate as far as there is a necessity for protection. Leading back from the main ditch at acute or obtuse angles, according to the nature of the ground and situation of the enemy's works, and with the dirt likewise thrown on the side next to the enemy, are smaller ditches called traverses, in which the soldiers sleep and do their cooking, washing, starching, and ironing here at petersburg we found the lines of defence already prepared for occupancy but until we reached those about richmond we had to do our own digging sometimes too in an emergency so great that resort was had to bayonets and tin cups in the absence of spades shovels and picks often there was neither time nor inclination to construct traverses and then men who objected to sleeping in the main trench to be run over and annoyed by wanderers dug square shallow holes in the ground just back of the main line at cold harbour our brigade worked all night with only bayonets cups two or three picks and as many shovels to throw up a breastwork and next day several of us excavated sleeping-places in the rear. When night came on, in a cloud of almost palpable darkness, I groped my way out to mine, and in a little while was fast asleep, if one can be that, while dreaming. Whether the fancies which flitted through my passive mind were grave or gay, tender or savage, of home or of war, has escaped my memory, but I do know that a change came o'er the spirit of my dream with alarming suddenness when a belated straggler going up the line landed one of his huge feet fairly and squarely on the side of my head. My first thought was that it was one of the immense hundred pound shells which the Yankee gunboats occasionally shoot at us and expecting an instant explosion and strangely unwilling to be buried in a grave of my own digging i sprang to my feet with a celerity not at all usual with me then discovering the truth i gave a loud and appropriate expression to my wounded feelings in language not fitting i am sorry to say to be repeated to a lady but seemingly conscious he had offended beyond hope of forgiveness my assailant waited not to apologise on the contrary he went stumbling on up the long line of sleeping soldiers and judging from the innumerable cuss words that for the next ten minutes broke the silence of the night and even attracted the attention of our yankee friends across the way must have made stepping-stones of the heads and bodies of every man along his tortuous route The print of a nail that was in the heel of the shoe, which dropped down upon me, shows yet on my left ear. Bill Calhoun always finds some compensation for an injury inflicted upon him by the Yankees in a joke on a confederate. Some weeks ago a bullet buried itself in the fleshy part of his thigh, and, after gouging it out with his fingers, he limped back to the rear, there encountering a surgeon new in the business of attending to gunshot wounds in fact a gentleman whose practice at home had ceased to be lucrative enough to support him and who had recently decided to take pay from the confederate government for the exercise of his limited abilities bill thought it prudent to have the wound examined The surgeon probed here and cut a little there, until patience, fortitude, and silence ceased to be virtues. "'What the blank are you carving me up so for?' "'Doctor,' inquired the victim. "'I am searching for the ball,' explained the doctor. "'Searching for the ball?' exclaimed Bill, with inimitably sarcastic inflection of voice, as—' diving with one hand into a pocket he produced a battered piece of lead and held it out here it is if that's all you want proud of being a texan i rejoice exceedingly that i am to the manner born a native texan being that i am foolish enough to arrogate to myself an extra modicum of consequence when i remember that the impress of a star was first used as the seal of an independent nation at the house of my father in brazoria county governor henry smith a near neighbour by the way happened to be there on the day he signed the first official document which required such an authentication whether it was at his own or the suggestion of another person i know not but it is a fact that he detached from his coat a button on which was stamped in relief a five-pointed star and with it and old-fashioned sealing-wax furnished the design for the seal first of the republic and then of the state of texas yet proud as i am of these mere accidents i am more proud of being a member of a brigade which inspired by the memory of the alamo and san jacinto has added lustre to the lone star on many a hard-fought field of battle but never displayed greater soldierly qualities than at bermuda hundred on the seventeenth of last month occupying an old and abandoned line of works in a hollow the privates of the brigade discovered that by an immediate attack they could recover from the yankees a portion of the line from which that morning the confederates had been driven and, waiting not for orders, sprang forward with one simultaneous impulse and accomplished the undertaking. "'Now's our time, boys!' shouted a private, so unconsciously and involuntarily, that not a soul remembers who it was. And then away the boys went. Halfway between the two lines, Colonel Winkler did manage to overtake them and cry forward—' but it was a useless expenditure of breath every man of the brigade was already running forward at the top of his speed reaching the works it was discovered that the yankees had levelled them almost to the ground and that to be tenable they must be reconstructed scarcely two hundred yards beyond frowned a federal fort and the gaping mouths of twenty or more huge cannon and from sundown until twilight deepened into the blackest of shadows round shot grape canister and shells rained upon us so fast and furiously that we wished we hadn't and when the terrible and demoralizing fire ceased and orders came for us the gallant captors to do the reconstructing the well of regret for our hastiness would have melted even the war calloused hearts of your gallant coast guard friends tom and johnny could they have heard it for the order meant not only the most laborious toil but working in the dark the yankees would not suffer lights used there was no escape and putting our whole souls into the business we finished the job by daylight Then, just as we began to feel good over the day's rest, certainly in store for us, the order came to march, and that day, the eighteenth, we came to Petersburg, the sleepiest and weariest set of corn-fed mortals imaginable. End of chapter 23